I, I, I very much value some of those things like I got you know would be willing to give up quite a bit for championship and like starting a dynasty and like you know because it's just you know it's gonna take a lot of work and it's gonna take a lot of sacrifice championship but I could I could do them I'm, at, I'm still at that point where I could do them dynasty you know I haven't had keepers yeah I guess that's really kind of a plunge it's like having somebody that you're fucking responsible for yeah 100%. Uh, I, I see myself at this point where I'm still single and I've said it to myself several times I'm like I could just like not look for a championship and not start a dynasty not have keepers and I could probably achieve a lot of those like pie in the sky goals that I have. I've never seen this school bus in my life. They've I don't think there's a child on my street. Stop watching this school bus shoot 33 years old i'm holding my microphone out the window i'm calling it as i see it daniel it's stationary the driver's not in the seat i don't know where he is there's two school buses daniel i just looked further down the street this is one's a short bus there's one and a half school buses this is the evacuation they just pulled out i feel like they may have gotten lost and utilized my street as a back street but it's that kind of stuff that scares you in October. You don't know what could happen. Spooky. It's spooky. That's what it is. You know, I don't know if Gio Bernard's just going to pop out. Bernardini. He certainly right? hasn't really popped out this season like people had hoped he might have in a receiving role with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, you know, all the running backs in Tampa Bay have uh, collectively kind of underwhelmed. They haven't been able to put forward much of a uh, rushing attack so far passing heavy in Tampa Bay this year I'd say so who do you think the spookiest team in the league is right now probably just uh, in any of your fantasy teams I'd say either of the two league teams well I was going to say the Cleveland Browns ah. but no uh, I see where your head's at there. I was kind of thinking Cleveland because, like, they play the oldest style of football, right? You'd say at this point in the league. Mm-hmm. And it's that sort of Mike Myers, uh, ghost face killer kind of just yeah. keeps coming at you. For sure. It just keeps plodding along, doing it at their own pace. You know, Michael was emotionless, cold blooded. Um, and nothing got in his way. And it, it's very reminiscent of the Browns offense. I'll give it to you there. I think definitely there's a scene or two from one of our favorite movies, Scream, that comes to mind when I think about October and fantasy football. Yeah, absolutely. And with Stan Pyre, the vampire, and Quinn Carson in the studio. Today, we're going to talk all about the film franchise Scream and how it applies to the two leagues, Vampire League and Ray Lewis League. 
Uh, we've got a lot of direct proof. We've got some third parties coming in on the line and providing some insight. And we're going to talk about how scary it is to be in the Vampire League against a vampire who's gotten a taste for blood. And how scary it is in a jam-packed Ray Lewis League where a bunch of teams sit at three and two and two and three and everything is on the table. We're going to give you all of that perspective loud and live because we are live and loud from the Live Loud studios in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And this is the Vampire Journals Podcast. This is Rat Weatherspoon. And this is the Vampire Journal Podcast. Chad Hemsworth, Star Coat Rack 2. You're listening to the Vampire Journal's Podcast. Jack Nicholson here. Oh, yeah. This is the Vampire Journal's Podcast. There you go, Daniel. Yeah. Starting yeah, to lean into it in our 42nd episode yeah, of the Vampire Journal's. Isn't it? Didn't you tell me it's 43, but you didn't want to go back and renumber all the. I think (laughs) I may have numbered the pilot zero because of a a 1.5 episode choice that you made in the first season. You you called like a two parter, like episode one and then like 1.5 or something like that. And just got the entire numbering system off. But, you know, we were just pushing the limits of what was possible in those early days, the pioneer mm -hmm. days, the pirate days. And obviously, if you're listening, you know, just talking about the podcast itself, we've started doing the timestamps in the abouts for the episodes. So I want you guys to be able to see what we're talking about, be able to jump around if you need to or come back to it. Um, And uh, we also highlight some of our uh, fun scenes and commercials that we run too. Absolutely. So Quinn, uh, we hinted at it at the start. you know, we're going to talk about one of our favorite horror film franchises, and that's Wes Craven's Scream films. Uh, and if you're familiar with Scream 1, which I know we both are, uh, but for the listeners at home, we're going to cover that movie extensively, as well as the rest of the films. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to ruin all of them for you. We're going to ruin the ending. We might ruin it to where you don't even want to watch them. Uh, right. But, I, you know. I don't give a fuck. I'll watch them enough for both of us. So, Quinn, why don't you uh, give us give us a little taste of how Scream One starts out? What are we uh, What are we working with? I think it's 1996. Wes yep. Craven successful with the uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film franchise, amongst other movies. Uh, you gave us a, a scary movie for the ages, right? Yeah, and and we come in with a star studded cast starting off the film, just a solo performance by Drew Barrymore. Someone who in 1996 was hot, top of her class in the actor realm. And basically, Drew Barrymore is murdered in the opening scene by Ghostface Killer. And uh, not to... from uh, the Wu Tang clan, different <laughs> right. Ghostface Killer. I guess, yeah. Well, how, how do you refer to this? This, yeah, this just, I think you can just call him Ghostface. Ghostface. Okay. So, yeah. So, Ghostface. Uh, introduced himself into the film drew barrymore dies which in 1996 surprised everybody in the film in the theater because uh she would have been an actor that you thought would be a part of the whole entire film kind of the biggest draw on the casting list right yeah i would say that was like a nice uh move by wes 
Um, and again, he, uh, we're going to talk a lot about rules here today, but he definitely doesn't follow the rules in a good way here in uh, scream to create like a really unique film that would then birth like film after film after film. And I think it's interesting that we came up with this idea to run a scream themed podcast because just yesterday, uh, the official trailer for the 2022 Scream movie just came out and we watched that. So we're kind of hype on Scream right now. Yeah. So <clears throat> Scream 1, you said, Quinn, uh, Drew Barrymore gets the knife early in the film, but she's not the first one murdered in that movie. Uh, the first kill of her boyfriend, Steve, on the back patio really set the tone for the, uh, the gruesomeness, the violence that would uh, really be a hallmark of this movie. Do you remember that kill? You know, I don't really actually. Let's 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 uh, refresh me. You're the scream enthusiast of them all, in in my opinion. Sure. And uh, quick little anecdote. It's funny you don't remember this. I remember when this movie was out on VHS. One time I was uh, staying the night at your house, and I think we watched and like paused it on uh, on Steve's dead body. So yeah, Ghostface calls. Drew uh, Barrymore up. They engage in some uh, almost flirtatious dialogue, um, culminating in uh, Ghostface asking, "What's your favorite scary movie? What's your name? Why do you want to know my name? Because I want to know who I'm looking at." And that uh, really changes the tone. And uh, through dialogue, uh, Ghostface reveals that he is tied up and killed. Casey Becker's boyfriend, Steve, on the back patio. He has been uh, eviscerated, basically gutted, and he has intestines and internal organs. Uh, oh, yeah. Splaying out of his stomach. I now remember. And so that's going to take us to our first conversation of the week, and that is the marquee matchup from last week, week five in the Vampire League. Uh, Quinn, much like the killer did to Steve, uh, you were eviscerated last week to the tune of 195 to 147.5. Yeah, and if I, st- yeah, yeah, if I was to it. make a metaphor, I think I'm more Drew Barrymore in this circumstance where I'm answering the phone, uh, you're the killer, and Steve was George Kittle, who was put on the IR. Uh, and I, maybe we'll throw in Russell Wilson, too. And that's yeah, seems, I'll that say was, Russell Wilson, yeah. Yeah, That's fair. you know, Thursday night, I had a gut instinct to potentially sit Russell, but I just flew with him, which I guess I almost want to say, like, we shouldn't trust Thursday night fantasy. I, I just don't. I don't think, I don't know. It didn't work out for me. And and I just don't know. It's never been good football games. So there's just sort of like a bad taste for a Thursday night game. And uh, if I was to speak further on that, I, Daniel, I, I really like the early slot of games for fantasy scoring. I just feel like that's been crazy sometimes uh where you have people early in the day just capitalizing on uh early mistakes you know a valiant effort though i put up 147 which may have been my highest score of the year so far yeah it was a tough beat uh on the other side of the table i had tom brady pop off for 37 points uh mike williams after a no-show last week 36.5 and i really just stuck to your concept of having the most players score 20 points Brought in Jamar Chase in the flex spot, got me 27.9. Hot pickup, Buffalo tight end Dawson Knox got me 20.7. Alexander Madison, the Sunday morning edition, got me 26.3. And uh, yeah, you put up a heck of a score, 147. 
uh, would have beat me almost any other week I've played this year. Uh, but it just wasn't enough this day. It was great that you overcame the nine points from Russell Wilson. Uh, big dog Bob Tanyan got you 1.8 in the tight end position. Uh, so you had some underwhelming performances that kind of belittled what Austin Eckler, DK Metcalf, Kamara, Najee Harris, what they were able to do. Yeah, I feel like today I've got a bunch of principal thoughts, you know, maybe staying away from Thursdays and also following your gut. I had texted you earlier this week, Daniel, that I had a gut feeling to sit Russell and play Herbert, who scored 42 on my bench, which would have put me in play to potentially catch up with you. And then Chase had texted me about Kittle, um, sort of bringing up the fact that he got put on the IR. And in that moment, the gut instinct of potentially trying to make a trade, I shied away from that and just went with going with Tanyan, um, where instead, if I had traded with Chase, who hit me up about my tight end position and traded for his backup, just his backup, uh, which was Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews again scored another 42. So I saw two instances where like, if you really follow your gut in fantasy football and try and uh, uh, shoot the moon for these, these, these gut instincts, I think you should follow them. Uh, Cause I think a lot of times you might pay off. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, at least you followed your gut and you can live with that. Whereas like, I have these questions of like, man, I didn't do anything and left these people and didn't risk it. And, uh, you know, now I'm looking at losing a player to you. As the rule states, uh, you got to pick any player from my team and you took uh, the number two ranked running back overall, Austin Eckler. He's now on your squad and you gave me one of your starters, which at this time was Matt Gay, the kicker that week you played. Yeah. And so ultimately, much like Drew Barrymore's character, Casey put up a fight against the killer, uh, went all across the house and around the yard trying to evade him. Uh, you know, I think that was the valiant effort that you got out of your running backs and receivers. Uh, but in the end, uh, blood was drawn in the form of Austin Eckler. It's going to do a lot to shore up the running back inconsistencies that I've had as the vampire so far this year. Um, you know, there was a thought on my end about going after Justin Herbert, knowing that Russell Wilson was on the bench for me, ultimately. Uh, I thought that all that was going to do was uh, allow you to make one of the teams that's already better than me even better because I felt like you were going to have to give up one of these top-shelf running backs to get a quarterback from somebody else. And so, uh, you know, to make the playoffs, I don't have to be the one seed. I just have to be better than two other teams. So I think this was the biggest move that improved me while still uh, negatively impacting you. So Alvin Kamara ranked higher in the pre-draft rankings this year than Austin Eckler. Scored 30 points this week. Did you think about taking him? Ultimately, I have to back off of my early season uh, prediction that the Saints were going to be just fine this year. Uh, It's been really kind of inconsistency up and down. And yeah, you know, Alvin Kamara is a top player and he put up a top score. uh, One of the top scores this past weekend for running backs. But I just think that Uh, As long as they're both healthy consistently, Eckler is going to have a higher ceiling, uh, well, as high of a ceiling, but a higher floor week to week than what Alvin Kamara uh, puts forth. And in a sense, the way the game we're playing in fantasy football with, with running backs scoring points in this PPR league, you know, with catches, like Austin Eckler just looks like more like a fantasy football running back that you want than uh, Alvin Kamara does this year. 
definitely. And and just to say that, so man, big picture. So you know, we got four wins on you. All the four teams that are doing well this year in the Vampire League beat you. I get my first of two attempts, of only two attempts instead of three like the rest of the league to play. I lose. You've now got your first player. Historically, the Vampire has won in week one. They've won week two. I think last year it was in week four or something like that. Like So, you know, where are we at in terms of you trying to build your team from just the waiver wire and now this one acquisition from your first win? Yeah, so we're starting to see some real... Uh sturdy rocks or stalwarts in the starting lineup. Uh, aforementioned Tom Brady, uh, Mike Williams and Debo Samuel have been consistent in the wide receiver position. Um, so it's really just been shoring up at running back tight end flex and uh, rolled the dice with Jamar Chase. Who's just been a touchdown magnet so far this year. He's had a great connection with Joe Burrow. He rewarded me with 27.9. He's somebody that, uh, I really think is probably going to stay in that flex position this coming week. And then uh, Dawson Knox with Gronkowski out the last two weeks. It, it took me a couple weeks to find the right tight end and I was rewarded there as well. So, um, you know, I think that we're seeing that um, barring injury, this team is going to be uh, pretty straightforward looking for the next few weeks until I'm hopefully able to draw some more blood. Right. And then in this sense, you know, the whole idea is can you get to a, like a roster that's similar to us? And since you get to use the waiver wire, there's going to be people that we didn't draft because you just necessarily didn't see it coming or we just didn't have the roster space or something. But, you know, as the season goes on, you're able to build, you know, a roster from uh, the facts, from the statistics. And uh, that's a little bit different advantage you have over us, you know, which went all based on, you know, our draft prospects for the year. You know, in summary, moving forward for now, I'm going to try and yeah. address running back one more time. Um, it, but then after that, I feel confident uh, in who I would have. You know, Brady's the number one quarterback still. Eckler's the number two running back. Mike Williams, the number two receiver. Jamar Chase, number eight receiver. Dawson Knox, number three tight end. So I've got scores there. Uh, just got to find somebody, maybe replace Daryl Henderson, who though consistently averages about 16 a game, has failed to uh, break 20 points this year, currently running back 16. So if we look at Chase's squad, somebody like Jonathan Taylor's really been on a tear the last couple of weeks. Nick Chubb uh, is kind of uh, the lead back in that Michael Myers-esque offense you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um two really good running backs. And I think another thing that would draw me to running back is that Chase already has Gus Edwards out for the year. Clyde Edwards Hilaire just went on an injured reserve. Uh, That would leave Chase with just Miles Gaskin, Miles Sanders, and one of either Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb if I were to come out victorious this week. And so that's could, kind of a two for one, you know, it right, makes my right. team better and it directly impacts Chase's roster. Yeah. It could leave him uh, kilometers away from uh, the playoffs. Yeah. You know, your team, your team was probably the one squad that could stand to lose a running back. Obviously you want to keep Austin Eckler, uh, but I think you're still uh, just as deep as anybody at running back, despite losing such a big name. Yeah. You know, in it, yeah. 
looking back, it just stinks that I'm, you know, you can lose a player sometimes in the season, but at the end of the day, you know, the record still stands. Like the loss on the record is even as big as losing a player today too. So, and so, you know, for scream one, as Drew Barrymore dies, you're wondering what the heck's going on in this movie. They just (laughs) killed the biggest name here. What do they have in store for us next? Well, what they have is the introduction of the main cast that would prove to be one of the biggest teen movies of the 90s, as well as one of the biggest horror hits of the decade as well. We're going to introduce that cast as well as the rest of our cast of characters in the league coming up after a word from our sponsors. I'm going to get some water. Maybe do better this next segment. I don't know. <laughs> the original Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. Nature's choicest products provide its prized flavor. Only the finest of hops and grains are used. Selected as America's Best in 1893, the original Blue Ribbon Beer. Paps Blue Ribbon. And we're back in Quinn, you know, uh, we might have been about nine years old at the time when uh, Scream 1 came out. But it really was a movie that had a really big impact, made a lot of careers, and uh, was a good avenue for a lot of other big names that were kind of relevant in the 90s up until today. Um, you know, actresses like Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox were on shows like Party of Five and Friends on television. Uh, David Arquette is part of the famous Hollywood Arquette family. And, uh, you know, other careers like Jamie Kennedy. Uh, Liv Schreiber, Matthew Lillard, these were names that would kind of go on or kind of pick up after this movie. Rose McGowan, another big name uh, from that era. Um, Any of those names stand out in particular to you? Or uh, what do you remember about the movie in general when it came out? You know, I remember in general, it was like, it was more of a scary movie at the time to us, I think, than how we see it now as like sort of a cult classic sort of film and i think that's exactly what you want to have out of every single good sort of scary movie is that it starts as just a pure scary movie as it is and then hopefully develops like a wine into a franchise sort of thing i think if a movie tries to do that from the outset it's not going to work yeah you know horror movies were kind of at a downturn in terms of uh original ideas you know some of those franchises were long running such as friday the 13th nightmare on elm street uh but had sort of developed uh an unintentional campiness or sort of had aged itself out you know there was kind of a uh you know uh a real kind of dearth of ideas and content out there at least on the mainstream level and mm-hmm. so you know Wes Craven who again was at the uh, head of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise had experienced that firsthand so I think for him uh, to come out with something that really uh, took off and kind of revived the genre uh, was pretty big you know we saw uh, a lot of uh, teen horror kind of kick off after this film yeah and i think another point to make about where the films are at if you remember um on tnn or was it tnt they had that friday night scary movie show where the guy was outside of like a trailer and he was sort of hosting a scary movie night and they would sort of come in do you remember this that was i felt like where scary movies were 
And then a film like Scream at that same time could not have been played on that program, not because it was too violent or something um, like a scary movie, but it just didn't fit that mold of this this sort of hickish guy being like, yeah, there's 14 kills and four boobies and, you know, you know, a severed head and then like blah, blah, blah. And like he sort of gives some weird statistics that were super campy and and also jumping into a like a you know just like the canon of how all these horror movies are made and then scream comes in with this meta approach to it like randy one of my favorite characters you know he comes in talking about how these campy movies work and what the rules are and we get into you know discussing a lot of theory about movies which i love just talking about the theory about stuff so that's really what i remember about this movie is that it was scary but then also it was this meta thing that um really interested me and my brother and interested you and and stuff and i think that's why it like really you know allowed it to create the next you know scream two and scream three and we sort of growing up going to college with them in the scream franchise it was cool yeah so as you kind of you know as you grow along with those characters throughout the movies so too do we grow alongside our competitors in the fantasy leagues we covered the marquee matchup of the week last week. Uh, let's take a quick look at the other two matchups. Uh, they definitely had a direct impact on the standings, and uh, it was a couple of blowouts for another week in a row, right, Quinn? Yep, yep, another week of blowouts. Um, and I think, you know, Robbie putting up over 200 points, you know, that was a huge uh, headline for the league this this week just to to see what's possible in a in a small batch fantasy league. Yeah, Robbie had three people go over thirty with Devonte, White Culpepper, and Derrick Henry each going for thirty one plus. Stiff competition. Um, yeah, you know Kurt's one hundred and nine was uh, certainly less than he probably wanted, but he got some points where uh, you would hope for him was Zeke. Justin Jefferson, Travis Kelsey, all posting uh, noteworthy numbers. Both these teams are now sitting at three and two, which has them uh, dead square in the middle of the playoff rankings. Um, but they aren't in first. That game was decided uh, between the matchup of two, three, and one teams, smoking Jay Cutler and Mr. Solo Dolo. Um, Chase ended up coming out with a 136.6. Uh, to 95.16 victory over Steven. And he takes sole possession of first place in four and one. He does. And I think um, that sort of makes me think about whether Steven's team is going to be able to survive this stretch without Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. So, you know, if uh, we think of surviving a horror movie, making it to the end, and apply that to the uh, standings here. You know, uh, certainly you've lost a leg. Uh, you you got, had a limb chopped off, off after last week. Um, but all's not lost yet. But let's take a look at, uh, you know, the standings. Chase is four and one. Kurt, Robbie, and Steven all at three and two. And then you and I tied one and four uh, here at the bottom. Uh, so it looks like we have the uh, the worst chance of survival so far um, in terms of making it to the playoffs. So I'm going to say that we are filling in uh, the role of Rose McGowan uh, and then uh, uh, Jamie Kennedy. Uh, you know, these are two characters in the film that uh, I was pretty certain were not going to make it 
to the end of the movie. Uh, you referred to the doggy door and the garage door. Rose McGowan did not make it to the end, but she died a, a pretty uh, famous horror movie death in that film. Uh, and uh, Jamie Kennedy, despite getting stabbed, does make it through the movie. So, Quinn, I guess what I'm saying is uh, one of us has a chance to make it to the end of the movie. Well, I think another one of us is not going to make it. Um, who do you think's got the upper hand at this point? Well, you know, I guess upper hand has to go to the person with the advantage of the waiver wire um, and your fact that you can act, you can acquire players if you win games. So I'd say that you've got the, you've got the position, you know, I've been struggling all year. Everybody's listening to this podcast. They know. Uh, so so we'll just see until i start winning games you know for weeks on end there's going to be no conversation about me in the playoffs in that sense it's just got to win those games well you know so i come away with the uh jamie kennedy randy award uh you're designated the rose mcgallan aka tatum award Mm. um but you know tatum's best friend in the movie was played by uh Nev Campbell, that was Sydney, the protagonist throughout the series. Uh, and I think that the Sydney Award is going to have to go to four and one Chase. He's already played the vampire once, came out unscathed. Uh, he does square off with him in week six, but with a four and one record, he sits in first place. And ESPN's projections don't have Chase to finish him first, but I think a four and one record gives them the best chance of surviving to the playoffs. I'm going to give him the Sydney award. Uh, what do you think? Agree or disagree? I agree. Um, I think that he's probably our lead character so far in the league. Um, and uh, he's the most virtuous. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's also can... the only virgin. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, also a new, a new father. <laughs> new father. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, I, th- you know, I think Chase is probably the one that's the one to watch out for right now. Steven is stumbling. Um, we thought that he might be able to survive without uh, Christian McCaffrey for a while, but he just hasn't been able to put that game together. Um, Chase coming off of, uh, you know, a loss from me. That was my only win so far this season uh, has responded in kind and he's won the rest of his games and he's on a hot streak. So he's going to be in a good shape. I think coming back to me, you know, me being uh, a Riley, we need to talk to someone who does survive the franchises, and maybe oh. after this we can we can talk to my brother Dewey Riley. Absolutely. So Tatum was not only Sydney's best friend, but Dewey, aka David Arquette, uh, was uh, brother and sister in that first film. That's right. I feel like he was pretty unfazed by his sister's death. He shook it off pretty quick. Like as a whole, there's a lot of holes in the movie, but in a way, but I mean, like my general thought on that, you know, Mm, indeed. All righty. Well, you know, uh, we've got Tatum and Randy in the room. So yeah, let's go ahead and get officer Dewey himself moose courtway on the line to give us his thoughts on the vampire league and the screen movies. Uh, Quinn, you're the producer, so, uh, you know, pipe in that phone tone. Let's get him in the zone. zone. And we're back. Quinn and I are fortunate enough in studio to have a guest with us today. Uh, He resides in the Vampire League in our hearts. And in the standings, 
currently resides in the number two position, three and two record, leading the league in scoring so far this year. The two-time league runner-up, I'm talking about no other than Turd Ferguson, a.k.a. Moose Courtway. Now, Quinn, QPC projections for this season had Robbie finish in 1-12. Like I said, he's already outpaced that this season. Uh, what do you have to say to Robbie, who's now back in studio with us after a few technical difficulties? Well, Robbie, you're surprising us all again for a third year in a row. How do you feel? Feeling pretty good. Uh, I. I love it every single year, Quinn, uh, when you bring out your QPC uh, projections. It, uh, it motivates me, I think, in sm- some small way. I think, uh, yeah, I've always thought of it as a motivating factor for you. Robbie, I've got you finishing six at one and 11. Clearly, my projections are wrong to this point. Um, do, you, uh, do you see yourself uh, going on a win streak, on a hot streak for the rest of the season, or are you fearful that the vampire is a little bit more powerful now? Uh, definitely fearful. I think you always got to be fearful. So, uh, I'm going to tread lightly as Walter White would say. Um, and I mean, I think I can put up as I've shown, I think I could put up a pretty high point total, but I think I've also shown that I can not do that and score 95 points. So I just, I don't know. I'm just ready to see what happens. So now Robbie Quinn and I in alignment with the screen film franchise have kind of, uh, coined you as the Dewey of the group. Officer Dewey, played by David Arquette, somebody who has constantly underestimated, uh, but also constantly surprised viewers and fellow characters in the film franchise as well. He stumbled and he bumbled. He got stabbed a few times along the way. Uh, But as of uh, the finale of Scream 4, and we look forward to Scream 5 coming out soon, Dewey still prevails. Uh, Do you see a sort of symmetry between your storyline throughout the years in the Ray Lewis League? And that of David Arquette's character in the Scream franchise? Uh, I, I think I do. Um, I think at first uh, I might have, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I might have taken that as, a, as an insult. But, you know, there's that quote that Dewey has where he says, how do you know my dim-witted inexperience isn't merely a subtle form of manipulation used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively maneuver within any given situation? Absolutely. That's incredible. Now, Robbie, that does come from Scream 2. If I'm not mistaken, that's nope. the only Scream film you have not seen. It is. You know, uh, I uh, I pulled up the Dewey quotes and I didn't that's know that dynamite. was dynamite. That's a killer. No, it's fine. You know, after Gail <laughs> Weathers writes her memoirs detailing uh, the events of Scream 1 in a, a novel called The Woodsboro Murders, uh, <laughs> Dewey feels slighted at Gail's less than flattering depiction of him within the book uh now when he does reveal this uh quick quipped monologue to courtney cox uh she's astonished that he read the book and uh, that he feels so strongly and i've got to say that i was astonished by your performance in uh, week five of the fantasy season uh, there was only one team that outpaced the vampire that week it was you, man. You put up 205 points. You currently are the league leader in points scored on the season. Uh, tell me what was going through your head as you uh, put up a, a benchmark number last week. Well, it started off early in the day with finally having a Kyle Pitts breakout game uh, in London, of all places. Usually those games are a little weird, but he finally got his. I was buying his stock all week or all offseason or preseason long, excuse me. And then it just kind of kept going. But uh, I guess... 
starting off with Cup and Lockett, I was kind of feeling down because I, you know, with Cup kind of driving my team a little bit this season, uh, you know, one of the players, uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to put up a high enough point total. I was a little scared of uh, Mr. Deacondorf for sure because I know what he can do as well. Uh, but matchup wise, I think it just kind of all the games just kind of played out in my favor with uh, James Robinson uh, breaking out pretty good too, getting 18 touches for a you know, buck 47. Uh, Derrick Henry as well, Devontae going off. Uh, it was just all around. And Josh Allen, uh, as you like to call him, White Culpepper, just again stepped up and looks like the MVP front runner uh, with Lamar, I think. So, Quinn, you really strike me as the Jamie Kennedy of the group in so far as the Scream franchise. Uh, of course, he played Randy in the first two films. And Randy was familiar with the rules of how to survive a horror movie. Now, if I look at the standings, Quinn, you're about as far away from Robbie as it gets in terms of strong performers and weak performers. Uh, what are the rules that you failed to follow this year? And is Robbie on the right path to surviving the horror movie that is the vampire season? Well, Daniel, the rules are simple and you got to follow them so that you can survive in a vampire league like this. You will not survive the movie if you have sex. You will not survive the movie if you drink or do drugs, and you will not survive the movie if you say, I'll be right back, hello, or who's there? Hey, God, I got to pack another bowl. I'll be right back. (laughs) Well, Daniel, let's take a quick break for our hit of weed of the episode. (coughs) This week's hit of the week goes out to the biggest stoner of the group, Chase Vickery. He taught all of us how to roll cross joints and make gravity bongs when we were like 14. Uh, and, uh, you know, nothing says 14 years old and chase quite like the ad I recorded for waterbeds. So this week's hit of the week is brought to you by waterbeds. Hi, my name's Daniel Week, and on behalf of Waterbeds Everywhere, I'd like to say, have you considered giving us a shot, Chase? What's not to love about sloshing around like a choppy boat dock at sea? And tired of pets on the bed? Say no more. Waterbeds, it's a new wave. And we're back. Quinn, you told us the ways that you cannot... Survive the fantasy season. Tell us how Robbie has followed the rules in route to a hot start this season. Well, Robbie's followed the rules because he doesn't have sex. He doesn't do drugs or drink. And I think that's why he survived. But one of the things I think is, is, you know, let's talk about the not having sex part. He's very virtuous. You remember we talked about how young Robbie's team potentially could be with a CD lamb and uh, a Corey Davis and Kyle Pitts, and James Robinson. And so these players, for the most part, have been able to abstain from low-scoring affairs. Even Corey Davis is someone that in a deeper league you could trust. Um, he's Right now he's ranked 29th, so he's within the top 30 in the league um, of wide receivers. He's a starter. Uh, he is probably like the weakest example so far of his young squad. Um, and so in terms of them staying virtuous and abstinent, yeah, I think that's one of the rules that he's followed. So, Robbie, if uh, we're going to compare you to Officer Dewey from the film franchise, it's not all embarrassing and bad for you. Throughout the filming of Scream 1, you see that Officer Dewey woos local town reporter Gail Weathers. And in real life, 
He was also wooing former Friends star Courtney Arquette. That's right. Courtney Cox became Courtney Ar- Cox Arquette for a few years after Scream 1. Uh, Robbie, who's the player that uh, has really wooed it for you this year and won you over? You know, Are you going to be taking Cooper Cup's last name after this year? Uh, who's the player that's really stood out and wooed you so far? I, I think it, have, it would have to be Cup. That would, that's the gut instinct. Uh, if he carries me all the way to the promised land, then uh, I might have to take his last name. So we'll see if I go that far. But uh, uh, as Dewey says, I don't know what screen movie. I can't remember, but he says, I'll smile when I catch the killer. That's good. So I want to ask you, you know, again, it was kind of an oddball match. Uh, people kind of thought that Courtney Cox was crazy at the time to fall head over heels for David Arquette. Who's one player on your team that would kind of be out of left field to woo you over throughout the rest of the season? Maybe somebody who's underperformed, somebody who hasn't met expectations. Who's the wild card that could end up winning your heart by the end of the season? I think Antonio Gibson uh, hasn't really had as much success as I thought he would have. I mean, He's had a couple good uh, runs here and there, good catches, uh, but not like that breakout, breakout game yet. Uh, I'd say him and Kyle Pitts. If Pitts can keep going uh, with that build off the success that he had last week, then I think both of those two, I think, would really be able to kind of surprise me. Quinn, if you're familiar with Randy's role in Scream 1 and 2, you know through to subtext and in the margins that Randy has an unrequited love for Nev Campbell's character, Sydney. Yes. Who's who's one person from Robbie's roster uh, that you really feel uh, heartbroken about not getting on your team this year? I'd have to say it's probably Josh Allen um, from the quarterback position. I could have gone big there. And someone else that I really miss is also Derek Henry. I think those two two big gets by Robbie are just some of the best players in football these days. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, including yourself, were uh, wondering whether he would regress or not. And clearly he didn't. Now, in the early parts of Scream 2, Randy seems to display as some sort of uh, confidence or bravado in an attempt to win Sydney over. Uh, this despite Sydney being in a relationship with uh, Jerry O'Connell's character in the movie. Um, is there any uh, player on Robbie's roster that you think you might be able to win over, a.k.a. any player you might be able to trade for? I'd say that Tyler Lockett's great, but um, there could be um, an even upgrade to DK Metcalf uh, for some type of swap uh, with an underlying kicker underneath there from some bench work. Robbie, you have any, uh, any interest in that kind of conversation with Quinn? Hey, man, I'm always open to trades. Uh, I've experienced a lot of... Uh, I don't know if uh, <coughs> bullshit trades over the years, um, but I'm always open to trades. We could, there's always counters. I'd like to, I'd like to work with the five families. I don't, I don't care. Okay. Now, Robbie, one last screen question. If you're familiar with the films throughout the franchise, the sort of uh, running gag is that David Arquette's character, Dewey will be stabbed or shot or injured at the end of the film, uh, but managed to make it, out at the end of the film alive and still thriving um i've got to ask you you got two more matchups with the vampire in weeks eight and 13 do you think you're going to make it out of this movie alive and do you think you might take a couple of injuries along the way hey uh 
I think I got to have the confidence and uh, just keep rolling like I am. And uh, I think the vampire proved last week that he can put up a lot of points. So I think I've done the same. So I think I might take a, a bite here and there, um, but I think I'm going to be rolling. I'm, I'm feeling pretty hot right now. I won't lie, but Hey man, I was, I'm 25. I was 24 for a whole year, but uh, I'm going to try to figure it out. Robbie, I got a little bit of a trivia question for you. Okay. How many people have you killed in the Scream franchise as do we? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to try and think of Ooh. Mm-hmm. How many has How many, ooh, how, many have, has, how many kills committed does do we have? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh is it 4? Okay, you got 4, Daniel. You got an answer for me? Uh so I'm going to say that it's probably a low number. I'm going to say 2. It's one. He's only killed uh, one person. He, uh, he was guided by Sydney on how to kill that person. Emma Roberts. Oh. Emma yeah. Roberts, right? Emma Roberts. In Scream yeah. 4. Roman Bridger. Uh, Scream 3. Oh. Yeah. Roman yeah. Bridger. And then, oh, man. We're going to have to put a uh, like a spoiler alert warning at the start of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, you shall. We'll do the spoiler alert right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today's spoiler alert of the week is brought to you by Scream 3. Killer's Sydney's brother. She didn't even know she had a brother. It's a half brother. And uh, she also, you know, the killer Roman alleges that he was the actual killer of uh, Sydney's mom, which predates the events of Scream 1. So it's your spoiler alert of the week there. Yeah, a little kicker. Anybody remember who portrayed? Dewey Cox or Dewey Cox, Dewey Dewey Riley in the uh, stab. Oh, hang movies. on, hang on. Damn, no idea. A hit. Do you remember what those stab movies were? I've never heard of those. So, th- if, if within the universe of Scream, they created oh, yeah. screams called Stab One, yep. Two, and Three. They watch one in like a barn. I think. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. I can tell you who a lot of other characters are, but I cannot think of who. Wait. I can't think of it. Oh, they're on. Hang on. They talk about it. Him and Randy talk about it in the cafeteria in Scream 2. Yep. I think. Oh, is it uh, Matthew Perry? Oh, you're so close. It's David Schwimmer. Oh, fuck. I knew it was one of the Friends guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was David Schwimmer. That's great. It was great. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, last thoughts, Robbie. Uh, you know, you got two more uh, rounds with the vampire coming up this year. Um, what's your schedule look like those weeks? Uh, as far as against the vampire, yeah, yeah, are you are you set? Everything's good to go for you there. You don't have any uh, pit pitfalls coming your way. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I'm gonna hold. I don't know. I'm actually not sure. I'm kind of looking at it right now um, because of what week eight uh, I play the vampire. Uh, so hopefully I can like. He's good. Become he has a- no buys week eight. Yeah, no buys yet. So uh, hopefully everybody can just stay healthy. Um, that's kind of the main thing. I really don't want to have to like be making any last second trades or having to like flex something crazy. But week thirteen, Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Rodgers are all on bye weeks, and his kicker Mason Crosby. And who's he play week thirteen? The vampire. The vampire. The vampire. Robbie. Wait, wait, Robbie. Time out. Yeah. Da-na-na, da-na-na. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you have four buys on your third bout with the vampire in week 13. 
yeah, man. Woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's like when I drafted two defenses and they both had the same buy. So right. not as bad, but you know, the not I don't do bad. my research. Okay, <laughs> I oh just my. trust my trust my gut, man. <laughs> All right. So what's our plan? What do we do? <laughs> what are we doing here? So what's our move? What's your move going to be? What is my move? Yeah, yeah. How are you going to fix this problem, Robbie? Oh, I I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Hell I'm yeah. obviously going to be playing Josh yeah. Allen, so like I'm fine there. Like quarterbacks on issue uh, with Devontae and Derek. Uh, I think I'm really concerned about running back. That's like I think I kind of put too much stock in Damian Harris this year. Uh, I don't know why I trusted uh, my Patriots team uh, in fantasy because it never really works out that way. So I got to make something happen. I think, I think at running back. Yeah. All right. All right. So everybody be advised. Robbie's oh. got to move. Robbie, you know, one last scream thing before you go, what's your favorite scary movie? Favorite scary movie. I'd actually have to say, uh, I like the witch. I know that's not like a classic, but it's a recent one. Really, really like I, in this. I don't know. Does this count? Does alien count? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, thriller more, I guess. It's more sci-fi, I would say, first and foremost. Okay. Well, I'm trying to get in more scary movies. Like, uh, so y'all give me all the all the recommendations you can. Well, coming up, I'm gonna tell you what Quinn's season projections have in common with Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. That and more after this. Amazing. That's your cue. That's your cue to fucking leave, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, always fun talking with you guys. Uh, you I'll mean, see you all later. Thanks, thanks yeah. for doing this, guys. Yep. Good yeah. job yeah. today, Robbie. Have a good day at hey, work. Good job, guys. Thank y'all. I, I really mean it, by the way. Y'all have been doing great. Thanks. See ya. All right, I'm fucking leaving, okay? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This summer, in their strongest installment yet, lies a romance between man and woman. Pursued, chased, forced to own up to their feelings, these two must join together forever and ever. Lifetime presents Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. You know, Quinn, one of the things I like most about the Scream franchise, first film in particular, upon your first watching of it, is that you're constantly guessing who the killer is going to be. They give you a laundry list of uh, trope characters and, and people giving shady looks to the camera or suspenseful music as they give a look through a window. Um, there's a broad cast of characters that can be the possible killer. And if we're talking about possible killers, I think we got to look at a team called Deacon Dorf at three and two. ESPN currently gives Kurt a 90% chance making it to the playoffs. Um, we take a look at the, uh, the final season projections. Uh, ESPN has Kurt currently uh, with the second position. So, uh, you know, this is one of his best seasons uh, that we've seen in the Vampire League for Kurt. And it just makes you think that maybe there's something up his sleeve that he's given a sideways glance to the uh, camera. So I'm going to group a couple of characters together that really kind of represent uh, what I'm talking about here. Henry Winkler, the president, uh, or Henry Winkler, the principal of the high school that they attend. Uh, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich. Uh, Skeet, in particular, who plays Sydney's boyfriend, Billy, 
is presented as a suspect early in the film. Uh, they seemingly clear his name only for him to turn up at the end as the actual killer along with his uh, buddy Stu. Uh, and then there's also Cotton Weary portrayed by Liv Schreiber. Uh, at the time of Scream 1 was in prison for killing Sydney's mother. Uh, but uh, Scream 1 reveals he was not the killer and uh, he's eventually freed. So you've got some innocent, some guilty. Uh, and I think that represents Kurt's potential to make the playoffs for the first time in league history. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> that's a quite a web <laughs> of characters you walked me through. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, Henry Winkler is probably my favorite of all those, um, you know, being a principal and, and sort of being a, a, a person that was brought into in the movie that people hadn't seen in years. One of my favorite things about Kurt in this way is that he hadn't made the playoffs yet in this league and he was just always struggling and we hadn't seen anything or heard about him from a while, but this year I feel like he's really come up and and surprised us. Forever um, five hundred. Forever five hundred was his old name. Yes, that was a great name. Um, and uh, and so Kurt's looking in at the playoff picture with an opportunity to make it this year. Um, he is not behind schedule in this way. So I think if he keeps his team going, that he might uh, upgrade himself to one of the surviving cast members. But really, like today's awkward silence is brought to you by <laughs> Teddy Grams, the honey flavored one. Really dry your mouth out when you're chewing them. You can't speak when Quinn tries to segue to you. <laughs> Teddy Grams. Yeah, so Daniel, um, let me run with this one here for a second then. So, Scream One has probably one of the best endings of the horror movie film universe that we'd had in a long time in terms of it just blowing the minds coming up with Billy and Stu that it's actually a duo working together as the murderer and uh, in a sense it sets up the idea that for the rest of the movies it doesn't have to be just one killer it could be a team of killers or it could be one person Um, so when you saw this movie what did you think about Stu? Did you know that Stu would be involved as a murderer when you first were watching this? Nah, but you know, I was like nine, so I wasn't thinking that advanced about it. But you know, Stu, he just seems like the dumb buddy that ends up getting killed after he, like, traditionally, you know, Matthew Lillard would have banged Rose McGowan at the house party. And then the killer would have killed both of them immediately afterwards. Right. That's like a solid trope. Um, so, you know, I kind of expected that level of depth for his character. So it was kind of surprising um, when he ends up being heavily involved uh, with Billy and the killings. But, uh, you know, he makes time over time. His, I feel like his character kind of ages the best in terms of um, just how wild he is. Uh, in the house in like the last 30 minutes after it's revealed that uh, he and Billy are the killers. Yeah, you might say he like seems like the most high schooler of them all. Like the most real thing of just like a loose cannon 
human being that's only been alive for like 17 18 years you know mm -hmm. what i mean <laughs> like yeah like highly can, emotional yeah you can really believe him that like he's gotten duped into this and he's now in a crazed state of like what am i doing slash i'm in love with billy you know what i mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um who would you give the uh come on billy you man you cut me too deep award to you know who's the who's the player that's cut the deepest this year is it somebody that scored against you or somebody that's let you down I'd have to say it's probably Saquon Barkley, I'd say, because of him getting re-injured and just coming in and out like this, this, you know, you tried to trust him. He gave you this amazing game where he comes back and practically wins or almost wins this game for the Giants by himself. And, uh, and then the next week he goes out with another injury that's taking him out for a while. I feel like that, you know, you thought that the clouds had passed for Saquon and then just the very next week you know you cut him too deep and he's now on your bench again and we're talking about Devontae Booker you know now the cast of uh yeah the cast of the Scream universe would only increase in size with the sequel Scream 2 released in 1997 and Scream 3 a few years later in the year 2000 and uh much as that cast grew, we're going to talk about a league that's double the size of the Vampire League. Of course, we're talking about the one and the only 10-year-old Ray Lewis League. We're in the 10th year of competition in the 12-team league. It's never been more interesting or hard to predict what's coming up. What I can tell you is coming up is a deep dive analysis into the Ray Lewis League and a look back at the end of the Scream franchise, we thought 2011 Scream 4, 10 years old, just like the Ray Lewis League. Crazy, right, Quinn? That's crazy. Well, we got more craziness like that coming up after a word from our sponsors. ESP and the Ocho, always 100. 10 years old. Can't be a coincidence, right? Can't be. And we're back. Daniel doesn't believe in coincidences. He thinks everything's planned and this franchise is trying to capitalize on our fandom. Um, but as an aside, real quick, uh, Daniel, I went one and three or one and two this week in the QPC projections. Uh, it takes me to uh, 10 and five this season, and uh, we'll see how I do next week. But let's talk the Ray Lewis League. Yeah, so, you know, we uh, just had week five, which means we're about a third of the way through the season. We've got a couple of standout teams on top and a couple of teams holding on for life at the bottom of the standings. Uh, so, Quinn, let's uh, take a look at who we think some of the strongest rosters or potential survivors are in this league and who's ready to get killed off. You know, in screen two, um, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of diversity Uh ethnically or racially in scream one scream two starts off with two stars at the time omar epps and jada pinkett smith uh filling in for the role uh that drew barrymore played in the first film in terms of big names that got killed right off the bat she has a great death scene she's a good actress yes yeah. <laughs> like she's like crying and the music's really good and there's like a storm happening like every they just go full tilt like for the opening scene and she walks out 
Did she like walk out somewhere into she uh, walks in the movie up theater? To the, yeah. yeah, she up walks to front, up to yeah. the top of the movie uh, screen. Uh, and much like that film, wasn't afraid to kill off a few big names right off the bat. The Ray Lewis League is not afraid to do that either. We got some big names at the bottom of the standings. One and four, Sandusky Shower, and this train is bound for glory. And then a collection of four teams that aren't much better at two and three. Big names like Purple Rain, Siren House on a two-game win streak, worth noting. Team Kiss and Cousins, a previous playoff lock of mine. And two and three, HUD the Stud. Um, so, we've, uh, Quinn, tell me, have you been killed off already? Or is there still a chance your character is going to make it to the end of the season's movie? You know, I'm not sure, Daniel, what's going to happen. I think um, we've may we're, you know, we're reaching the ledge. We've talked about, you know, seasons where like six and seven, seven and six make it. That's with 13 games. Um, do you think seven wins, a seven and seven, a 500 season is sort of required probably to make the playoffs? I would say it's probably a threshold, but I think we have in the past, we saw six and seven, uh, a sub 500 record or six wins. If we want to think about it now that we have an even number of games, uh, be sufficient. So maybe six gets you in. I think you got to get seven if you want to fill any sort of safe. Well, we have to look at, you know, I guess the middle of the pack is decided by the top and bottom, right? So if I continue to lose, and say Sandusky Shower also continues to lose at one and four. And we, you know, give a bunch of wins to the rest of the league. And then the top two teams who are both on a four win, uh, four game win streak, uh, that's Atlantic City Knockouts and Johnsonville Champs. You know, if those two teams continue to win and put up a really great two records, like say 12 wins, 11 wins, you know, there might be a lot of uh, middle ground to, to cover. But if I start winning games, and get back to 500 somehow within the next two months, uh, there might be a conversation that I'm in like the eighth or seventh spot in the, in the rankings trying to work my way in. But for the most part, you know, if I lose one, one more game, you know, this week or next week, I mean, how am I going to be able to win, you know, and end up going like six and one or, or seven and seven and oh, the rest of the way out, you know? So yeah, you know, one of those teams at the bottom that I want to keep an eye on that could potentially get the uh, the Deputy Dewey Award would be 2-3 and three Siren House. Really tough start to the season, but has since rattled off two wins in a row. Uh, are you buying or selling that Andy still got a solid chance to get into the playoffs? ESPN currently gives them a 20% chance of doing so. Well, you know... Andy's made a lot of moves uh, already, um, you know, to to change up his team. And I think he got away with uh, starting this win streak at the right time. So I think he, if he gets himself back on schedule, finds himself at 500 within the next month or above 500, then, yeah, he's got a real good chance to get there. And like we said, you know, we've seen Andy make these uh, playoff runs and really heat up in the playoffs. So uh, if he can get in there, he's always one to watch out for. Now, as Anna's boat rack biz is on the verge of going international, love gets in the way. Coming this winter, starring Reese Witherspoon and Chad Hemsworth, Coat Rack 2. I'm a first take kind of guy, Daniel. Coming this winter, 
Boat rack too. Fuck. I mean, at this point, when they went to college in the second film, mm-hmm. the assumption was that they could just rewind it and go with Sydney's boyfriend again, right? Derek. Yeah. Played by Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> yes. And so the question was just like, who would be his like second, you know, who would be the number two? Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, spoiler alert, number four, I think uh, they kind of subverted a little bit, but they still stuck to the two killer formula. Uh, You know, a tremendous actor by the name of Timothy Oliphant uh, fills in kind of in the stew role as the uh, the friend that fits in, it's kind of goofy, but ends up being the killer in the end. Uh, but instead of going with the boyfriend, Derek, they went another direction, didn't they, Quinn? Right. Um, I think one of the early ideas uh, of how to break the rules like that Wes Craven goes is just to like, you know, take the, take the audience on a ride, making them assume uh, something that they know from past experiences like the previous films or the previous film uh, from 96 and that this one could, you know, potentially cycle again. Tristan or Chase uh, that you think has a surprise chance of finishing first in the standings on the season. Well, I think that has to go to the person that has the um, second highest percentage chance of making the playoffs. That's you, Daniel. Uh, that's big red bells. Aww. I think you got some big red balls and you could potentially end uh, where you, where you uh, ended last season at the top of the rankings at the regular season. Yeah. The big red bells might have big red balls, but they also have a big red potential trade in the works. Don't they Quinn? Yeah. We've been working on something, trying to talk it through. Uh, everybody's got holes in their roster. And then uh, I'm potentially preparing for another rebuild to give one last go into trying to win a game this league. <laughs> but Daniel, I got a question for you. Just overall, what's your favorite screen movie? What was your favorite of the four? They all came out uh, from 96 to 2011. So we would have been uh, out of college when the last one came out. What, what was your favorite? Um, you know, I think one's probably the best. Um, is that the one you watched the most? No, I've, I'm I'm pretty sure I've probably seen four the most. <laughs> Why have uh, you seen four the most? Yeah, it's just so ridiculous. And then, you know, it came out and we were living in a world where, you know, not everybody had every streaming service. DVDs were still a thing um, up here in Fayetteville. I think a Hastings closed and then like, another video store closed and we would just go in and buy like tons of DVDs for a dollar. So, you know, that was just something that was kind of heavy in the rotation. Uh, and I've also, I've been a fan of all the screen movies. I am pretty sure I saw uh, two and three, both in the theater with my dad, um, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, it's campy after a while, but still fun Who done it. And, uh, you know, the, the scream universe, you can kind of, you know, the more you see it, the more, uh, you can kind of appreciate the, the little things, the dumb shit. Um, you know, you start to enjoy characters like Dewey more. He becomes, you know, you start thinking to see the mastermind, you know, I think there's a theory out there that he's actually like the overseer of all the murders and that like, basically he is the shepherd that has guided the murders and all the other movies. And that's why he's been able to make it out unscathed through uh, the first four films. Right. I, do you believe that conspiracy theory? 
uh, you know, it's not too dissimilar from the Jar Jar Binks theory. So, I mean, do you believe the Jar Jar Binks theory? I, uh, I guess I can't believe that. And also I read up that Wes had shot the final stabbing scene in the first film that Dewey was supposed to die, but then he shot a backup of him, uh, getting carried out of on, uh, out to the on ambulance a stretcher. Yeah, on a uh-huh. stretcher. You know, I think when you think real world attempts like that, he left the door open. So I don't know if Dewey was thought to be like the the overseer of it all from the first film, but that doesn't mean that, that he can't be placed in that role later by the creators because that's the creator's move. So, you know, I, I, I'd put my, I would, here's, here's a bet, Daniel. All right. So would you put, if I gave you better odds on betting money that he's the overseer, than say him having a favorite odds of him dying in this new film and not being the overseer. Would would you bet on? Would you put money on like the the safer bet that he's going to die this next film, or would you put the money on that he's the overseer? Yeah, I would put the money on that he dies. Mm-hmm. And then, so how how what do you think like the odds are that he dies? Because he's survived everything. They're potentially rebooting it. They've named it Scream. Not Scream 5, but just Scream. You know, he just looks weathered and grizzly. And like, uh, you know, he's got the heavy, like, gray salt and pepper beard. He's looking rough. And, you know, I think that sometimes, like, especially in series or films that have multiple installments, when you see, like, a, uh, a noted shift in a character's, like, personality or look or something, um, you know, it, either they're trying to rebrand the character or they're zigging just a zag later. And that zag would be that they kill him off. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, hey, look, we got a new Dewey. And you're like, oh, can't wait to meet this guy. And then he gets murked, you know. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, these characters or these actors and actresses aren't getting any younger. Um, so, you know, the alternative is either we just grow old with these people playing these characters and never dying. And I think that kind of can lead to a staleness in the movies um, or, you know, uh, we can, you know, maybe kill off one of these main characters that's been with it the whole time. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do either way. Would you think that if we gave another Dewey award, like this overseer Dewey award, I would say that the, like the, the overseer that we just didn't see coming might be something uh, might be somebody like Tristan uh, four and one start this season uh, mm. won the championship last season uh, came in and only kept one keeper. You know, that takes some guts. You know, some people might've thought that wasn't a very smart decision. Uh, we look at the year before he won the championship went seven and six. And, you know, in the first couple of years of the keeper league, uh, the, his team was not nearly as competitive Two and an 11 record in 2018 in 2017. Uh, he went five and eight. So it was somebody that we maybe thought was going to stay on the bottom side of the standings year after year. And uh, he's really kind of pulled a Shyamalan twist on us. And uh, now I think that he's going to be consistently one of the better teams in the league even when he does things totally different than the other teams do when it comes to uh, strategy around keepers. Yeah. You know, I think maybe him also winning the score of the week last week too. I believe he got some Johnsonville brats in the mail. 
you know, he's been on a big high. Uh, yeah. <laughs> riding that sausage high. Yeah. Riding that sausage high. Um, you know, one, one thing we didn't talk about is I think one of the films I liked, not the best, but the way it looked, the shooting of it, the beauty of the film, because the first films very much took places in a town. So you're getting some like, you know, some sort of lawn uh, shots. You're getting some some porch shots. You're getting some park shots of them in sort of like the city park. Uh, and then in college, you're obviously all over the campus. Um, but I like the third film where Sydney's, you know, sort of on her own finally. And she's got that dope ass house in the mm-hmm. woods. I think mm-hmm. that dope ass house in the woods was a perfect setting uh, for Scream Three, and I think that as we enter this second phase of the year, we've got a perfect setting to see if some people can respond. Uh, we have awesome names in all three sections of the rankings who could pop up to the top still, even from the beginning. We've got Andy or a- Andy and Sam both sitting at two and three who have great players on their teams and they could blow up as well as Purple Rain. So those guys could all pop off by the end of the season and end up with top ranking playoff positions. And then in the middle of the pack, we've got you, Jay Moneybags, Anal Fisters, and Hud the Stud. All these guys know how to play fantasy football for sure. I'd like to comment that Z Hud the Stud has made the most uh, moves so far this season. He's ranked, racked in 21 moves in the first five games. So he's made a bunch. And another person has been Jay Moneybags. So these guys have been very active and they've earned some results from that activity. And the top tier who could stay there all season long, Cross-Eyed Dill for Johnsonville Champs and Atlantic City Knockouts. I think, you know, Cross-Eyed Dilfer has got a great chance of, of, you know, going on another huge run as long as they can stay healthy. They're only a game back. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Chase, with the best defense in the league, only 530.5 points against. And he's done that with three road games. He's 2-1 and one on the road. Uh, you know, he's gone out there, traveled, and taken care of business. And I think that makes sense because if you remember back to his early post-college days, he was a traveling auditor. It wasn't uncommon for him to go on the road uh, and have to be at his best. Yeah, I think he's comfortable in a lot of settings. Um, and in a sense, too, bringing up the the points allowed, you know, him been in first place and having competed against the least amount of points scored against him. I mean, obviously, that's got to be something you have to note. And perhaps... Another you know, thing he, we have to note, he's actually second in points against. I'm now seeing our buddy Money. Oh, Money uh, A.K.A. J. Money, A.K.A. J. Uh, 511 points against. Real stingy there. Yes, yes. But Jay sits near the bottom in scoring. Um, so, you know, they're, they're in the bottom, near the bottom, lower the pack. But yeah, I think this points forced and points allowed is also is a more important statistic, you know, to look at today. Tactically. On, yeah. yeah, tactically speaking. And, you know, I, uh, I think that some of the people that are sitting at the bottom of the league, obviously they've allowed more points. You know, the bottom five players in the league have all allowed over 600 points so far. So they've, you know, faced stiffer competition in their scoring and none of them have scored over 600 points. And none of them scored over, you know, 570. Um, so I think there's uh, there's something to see there. So you want to be scoring over 600 points. You want to be allowing, you know, facing teams that aren't performing at their best. And I think that, you know, if you do that, you can 
find some some power there. An interesting stat, one of the ones, the last one we'll talk about is Sam. Because uh, is Sam has got, um, but I think that he's got one of the more interesting teams this year. We've talked about this on previous podcasts, Daniel. Yeah, I'm worried for him this week. Uh, tight end Dallas Goddard out with concussion. Uh, Chase Edmonds, Tyree Kill, Damian Harris, all questionable this week, uh, as well as Kyler Murray. Uh, so uh, Sam's got a lot of red letters where he doesn't want them to be, and his bench depth isn't where he wants it to be. Uh, so I'm worried about Sam. He was my first playoff lock of the week, uh, of the year. I'm wondering if I'm going to have to part with some of the players on my team to improve his team just so my guaranteed lock stays true. Yeah, right. Now, I had to find Sam out in the wild. So the microphone situation is not as tight as it normally is, Daniel, we have a pretty tight ship we run. We do. We hold ourselves to high standards. Um, and, you know, the governing bodies will judge us as they may. Uh, but, hey, this was an important interview for us to get. And uh, Quinn did a heck of a job, went out into the field and uh, came away with some really interesting sound bites um, from our resident horticulturist and uh, probably the second or third best drummer in the league. Uh, so Quinn, uh, with that, take us to that, uh, interview with Sam. Yeah. Again, we're going to bring in Sam Kincannon, of course. Uh, you know, we're, we're excited. He's on our podcast universe, Daniel, you know, you can go listen to that podcast. Just follow the vampire journals.net and, uh, you can Quinn find Carson it. Music.net. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I like the, we have, we have multiple portals to go through. Uh, but no, but yeah, Sam's new podcast. Love it. We've had a great time producing it, right? It was a blast. Can't wait to uh, continue it, see where it goes. Plant a seed and watch it grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, yeah, let's bring on Sam. We'll be right back. The Luminade Packlight Spectra USB Portable Solar Lantern as seen on Shark Tank, it's powered by solar use and also powered by USB with an internal battery capable of running for over 24 hours. The Luminate Packed Light Spectra offers nine color changes and nine modes of color changes. Packs flat and can also be inflated. The solar panel design allows it to be charged anywhere. It's water resistant. 12-hour max runtime and two years of storage life. Floats, recharges in 10 hours of direct sunlight. Luminate, the maker of brilliant things, is proud to bring you the Packlight Spectra USB. Take it back to the house. I mean, you've been building something for the last yeah. couple of years. It's pretty interesting to accomplish, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely a goal that I set and had for a long time and you know if I had like kind of settled down to some extent I you know wouldn't have been able to do it uh, and but I guess my goal is unique enough to where I can kind of have some balance of you know like creating this thing that I've wanted while also at the same time uh, 
just building a place for myself to kind of, I don't know, be comfortable and, you know, just, I, I don't know, stay in Little Rock, not look at, like, moving to another town to to do bigger and better things. Um, there's some, There are definitely some professional goals that I could be achieving much faster if I didn't want to just stay where I'm at. But I think from, like, an entrepreneurial standpoint, you getting this house accomplished is, like, something that you can take into the next phase, like, in a way different thing. You know, I think I took knowledge yeah. and experience yeah. from Boston rather yeah. than, say, like, collateral, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I actually, and I'll even have a lot of knowledge and experience from it that probably will help me professionally as well. Um, just, like, being in the building and construction industry, like, you know, in a design capacity, like, I... It's going to help me, you know, at my firm. Like, So for fantasy football, yeah, would you finishing getting closer to building your house, has this helped you build your house in fantasy football better? No. <laughs> God, no. Why, why are you so successful this year? I'm not successful this year. I, I have a real mixed record. Uh, I'm doing better than last year. And I think the metaphor of getting my house in order stands, but uh, I don't think we will see the true results of that until next season. So do you think that like once you move into your house, you'll be able to concentrate yeah. on the real important things in life finally? And Well, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't had a quiet, non-working... Sunday morning in a long time <clears throat> and so so I'm actually in another fantasy league as well really yeah which I'm actually doing a little better in that in that one but anyway I uh, I had some you know it was like Sunday morning somebody announces that they are sitting out the game and so you know I just had a, a vacant spot I had one this week in our league, I think. You know, you can use the app on, like, other days of the week, too. But I get what you're saying with the timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I also, like, I have a lot of bench spots to fill. And I just haven't been, like, I've checked. I'll check Monday when I get back into work. But then I don't check Wednesday after the waiver wire is, is open or closed or whatever the terminology is. It's the paperwork you know. through. Whenever it's just an open board, you know. Um, but in this okay. sense, I mean, everybody's really high on your team, so w we think that you could actually make some noise. So you think so? Yeah, you're totally. I mean, I've got a pretty. I do have a pretty good team, but um, yeah, you're going to be two and three, but like most of the league's going to be two and three. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. You know, you're better than me. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll Probably it's kept me engaged enough. Cause last year, after the draft, like the whole draft debacle over the past two years or three years, where it was like the keeper spots, whether or not you get to pick in the first round right. or not to replace your keepers if you didn't keep. That whole debacle kind of screwed me up because I didn't know the next year that you could do that. And then, yeah. Anyway, I've been steady rebuilding from that. And 
I do have a pretty solid crew. And I think I'll probably be looking at some, some trades. I mean, you've already traded once before this year. I have. I have. How do you uh, feel about that now? Have you seen what Mike Williams has been doing? Or? Mm-mm. Okay. How's he been doing? He's been doing really well. Um, okay. But in a sense... I know, I know Fournette did not... He did not put out this past week, but... Fournette? Well, no. Fournette got you 19 points. Chase Edmonds oh, got you he? two points. Yeah. Oh. Well, uh, you're okay. thinking... So, LaVisca Chenault got you five points, but technically he got you more points than who you started on that same team, Jacksonville. Uh, Marvin Jones had two and a half points. Yeah, you pretty much played the squad you should have played this week. And it just wasn't your week, but you've had way other week like other weeks that were yeah. huge yeah. for you, you know. So Yeah, well when I started breaking like hundred and twenty points a game, I was like, Okay, I actually have a decent squad. I can I can compete, and so it's kept me more engaged for sure. Totally. Last year I just folded like after like my third or fourth game. I think I had lost in mm-hmm. a row, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much out for the season." Well, any last words? Huh. Um. Yeah. I'm excited about my new podcast. Yes, I can't wait to check out that podcast. You know, <laughs> well, I'm Chad Hemsworth, star of Coat Rack 2, and this is a Miller Lite. Inside a Miller Lite is a fine Pilsner beer brewed with the highest quality ingredients. We use choice hops from the Pacific Northwest, so as noble sauce hops deliver more taste, aroma, and color. Only 96 calories for 12 ounces. Miller Lite, a fine Pilsner beer. Well, Quinn, that about does it for this week. We've taken a look at Scream from its origins to the upcoming extension of the Scream universe, um, bringing back a lot of familiar names to the franchise. Uh, We also covered... Two franchises, uh, you know, one in each league. Is there anything else you want to cover uh, before uh, the slate of games happens from week six? No, I think we've got a great week to uh, to come and watch some football. It's the first week of bye week, so we'll just see how everybody responds. Well, in the famous words of the Vampire Blade, everybody have a happy Sunday. See you later, everybody. Rate and, rate and subscribe.